Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi, welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I am Tara Humphrey. I hope you are all well. In this episode, I am interviewing James Gransby. James is a partner at the global organisation RSM. They provide a multitude of services of which some include audit and assurance, legal, accountancy, tax, financial services, a whole host of services to support the efficient and effective running of a business. I wanted to get James on because the subject of finance comes up on a daily basis in my work. For all of us that work in the field of healthcare or in any business, we have income, expenditure, salaries, pensions, tax, premises, insurance we need to pay for. We need money and we need to manage it efficiently if we're going to last a distance and be a profitable and sustainable business. We've got the end of year coming up for many organisations. Let's do a podcast. Let's bring on an accountancy that has got specialism in working with healthcare organisations to help us create a bit of a a financial end of year checklist to make that period that little less stressful. So it was really, really helpful. I made notes for myself. We talked about having a cutoff period for our invoices uh, regular bank reconciliation, making sure um, our, we have got our payroll cut off. We talked about benchmarking. We also talked about tax planning. One of the things we didn't capture on the podcast, but we were talking about just after the episode, is one of the things I am going to do is we use an accountancy software called Zero, and we have to put in a description of the bill or expenses. One of the things I'm going to do is make sure those descriptions are accurate, because when they're not, our accountancy comes out with a long list of what's this, what's that, what's this, and it's very time consuming for both parties. So I think having a bit of financial audit around whatever tool you're going to use, whatever system that you are currently using, make sure your descriptions of your bills and services are accurate, are thorough. So whether you are a startup or you are managing a huge department, we have this every year, end of year accounts comes, it always gets a little bit stressful. So hopefully this episode will serve as a reminder and a prompt and may give you a bit of a checklist for you to consider when preparing for your end of year, giving you a good start into your next financial year. I hope you enjoy. As always, please share and like and if you're listening and you like it, just drop me a LinkedIn message, just drop me um, an email to say, just to let me know. It's always really nice when that happens. James, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Are you okay? Yeah, really good. So I wanted to get you on. I've been wanting to get um, somebody with a finance background on, an accountant on for quite a while because in when I did a series called the Business of Healthcare, which was a blog series, I asked um, the professionals, were there any areas of weakness? And I think I did seven interviews and they all said finance. So I was a bit like, okay, we need to dig into this a little bit more. So could you give us a bit of a background on where you work, what you do, whereabouts you're based? 
Yep. So I'm James Gransby. I'm a partner at RSM Accountants um, down in Southampton, but I've also got a Bromley office where I am today, actually. And we look after 300 GP practices nationally and over 2,200 GPs. I just deal with GPs and surgeons, and I'm also a director of an association called ASMA, which is the Association of Independent Specialist Medical Accountants, which is a bit of a mouthful, but um, that association is a group of accountants, and together we all act for around about 50% of all GPs in the country. How long have you been doing that? Oh, for the ASMA, since 2012 is when I joined there. I've been a board member for the last four or five years, Um, but I've been in the sector as an accountant for over 20 years, since 1997. And one of the things I wanted us to speak about is uh, at the time of recording, it is the 31st of January, starting to think about year end. We're both in the world of primary care, but we every every healthcare business has their end of year um, accounts. Even though I'm coming up to my fifth year of business, I always seem to find it's a little bit stressful and I'm trying to find things and my accountant's asking me questions. And I thought it'd be a really good practical episode for us to talk about some practical principles that a healthcare organisation could do to support their end of year in a less stressful manner. Sure. Well, the first thing, hopefully people have got their accountant in place from the start, but it's an interesting time where we're talking about primary care networks as part of this as well. Some of them may only just be thinking about appointing their accountant now. Um, It's possible that they are a lead practice and they might automatically use their own accountant to help with the accounts, but they may be wanting to appoint outside ones. And in in some cases, the network agreement may suggest that they, they appoint an accountant. So there are some who haven't done yet. So let's assume that the accountant has been appointed for now. Um, Coming up to year end, a lot of businesses, especially in the healthcare sector, because that's the way the NHS contract runs, will be a March year end. So like you say, we're only a couple of months away from that. In order to help your accountant, one of the things that they'll need to do, and this is applicable for any business when you reach year end, is start looking at what we call cut-off. So this is, if you've got a 31st of March year end, you'll still be getting invoices in, in April, which relate to prior to March, but you won't be paying them until afterwards. But because we're preparing the accounts on what's called an accruals basis, rather than just when receipts and payments come through, we're going to look at all the costs that the business incurred before year end to make sure it gets tax relief in the right year. They're going to have to start looking at that cutoff. So keeping a list of all the invoices that happen after the year end, but related to prior, will really help the accountant because otherwise they're going to have to do that themselves. The other thing, bank reconciliations, hopefully they're being done systematically, maybe monthly for very large businesses, possibly weekly. Um, Some people, especially if they outsource some of this, um, some of this work for the bank reconciliation may not do it quite so regularly. So at least at year end, there needs to be an accurate bank reconciliation to make sure all of the records in your bookkeeping system um, all match up to the bank. So can I just ask, so going back to cutoff, so you're saying between now and March, we need to raise our invoices and get them in before the 31st of March. Yes. So I'm looking at the supplier side. So people yep. that are sending you invoices, let's say your telephone bill, yep. where you'll be incurring the cost now, but you won't get the bill until April. Other utilities might be a good example. But again, for your outputs, for your sales, if you're, I mean, for the for NHS businesses, for GP practices, it all comes through the contracts and there's a, 
there's the open exeter statements which come through but if you're a business raising invoices yeah then yes it's important to make sure that you get those in the right year as well okay cut off bank uh reconciliation what next well there's also payroll so if you've got a 31st of march year end that ties in quite nicely with the payroll end of year which is 5th of april so as people are doing their payroll end of year runs and running off their p60s for everybody um that then ties into the year end accounts too so typically people would do their payroll end of year run send out all the p60s and then pass the information over to the accountant to incorporate into the accounts i mean the big change that's happened in the last probably four or five years is the rise of online bookkeeping systems i'm talking things like zero with, with an x xero yeah. uh, quickbooks online um one thing that HMRC are particularly keen on coming up is this uh, concept called making tax digital, where businesses will have to submit their information rather than just annually, as they've been historically needing to do. They're going to have to submit it in real time, quarterly, within a month of that quarter end. And that's already in place for some businesses coming on stream for others. Um, that's really focused the mind on getting timely information, which helps in a lot of ways because it probably means the bank reconciliation is being done yeah. automatically and things like zero link through to the bank statements too. Yeah, we use zero. And I think because lots of we've got a really broad audience that listen to the Business of Healthcare podcast. Some are in organisations, some are in a GP practice, some are GP uh, federations, some are young budding entrepreneurs, some are GPs that have got coaching business on the side. Do you need an accountant if you've got if you're you know if you're one man band in it at the moment? Do you need an accountant? What can an accountant do for you that you couldn't do for yourself? Okay, so if you're if you're set up as a limited company, then the chances are you'll certainly need an accountant because of the way that the accounts are prepared, using special there's all um, disclosures and things that you'll need in there, and also when you're submitting your corporation tax return, that needs to be done digital digitally using what's called an IXBRL format. So unless you've got all the software in place, you'll need an accountant there. If you're a sole trader, I mean, the tax system's built around self-assessment. So you can self-assess. And there's plenty of people out there with relatively uncomplex businesses who would be, if they're happy to, and they have the time to, um, yeah, they can do it themselves. That's fine. There might be expenses they could possibly be missing out on by not having an accountant. So some people think, well, actually, the cost I'm spending on an accountant, I may recoup by knowing all of the, you know, I'll call them tips and tricks, but, you know, all of the nuances in the tax system and how, how they can use them best. Yeah, and I would say I shout out to MFW in Hernbay. We There are accountants. There is something around, we could do some of it ourselves, but I have more confidence in hiring the expert. And I think that it's it's less time consuming. I, we do use zero. We set we it all kind of automatic stuff, and then we get our quarterly um, management accounts, and it's really really helpful and teaches you and helps you to understand the business, your ebbs and flows in the business, where you're spending your money. Is there any opportunities for you to save? You know, a lot of people I speak to don't like the finances. I don't know. I don't know if it stems from school, but they just don't like it. And it can be quite complicated and quite scary. And the implications are quite, they're really big if you get them wrong. I definitely think it's helpful to have a really good supportive accountancy that you can just pick up the phone if you've got any questions. 
Yeah, well, Definitely. the most important thing is as as accountants get to know your business, um, it's more than just a compliance-based service. I mean, the compliance of preparing a tax return and preparing the annual accounts is one part of it, no doubt. You know, you need to do that. Uh, you know, it's an obligation that you have as a company director or a sole trader. But it's really when it comes down to business advice, you know, when people can make comments on your accounts and productive comments especially and one thing that we're keen to do and we do this a lot and like I say I act for GP practices predominantly is benchmarking so when we prepare the accounts we've got a, a fresh set of numbers which might only be a couple of months after the year end we're acting for a lot of clients in the sector so we can see what other people's numbers look like and then we collate all those anonymously and then look at, and look at averages so, for example, if we see that there's a GP surgery that's spending a lot of money on their staff costs and it looks a bit out of kilter to the other practices in their area nationally, we can interrogate that. I mean, there might be a good explanation if they've got multiple sites. Let's say they've got 10,000 patients, but they're split over three sites. They're going to be doubling up on reception staff and other things. So that might be explainable. Or they may have a patient population which is much older than the national average so the age demographic means that they see more people more often, more appointments, which increases the staff cost. And once that's explained away, if it still looks strange, then we can just interrogate and look to see whether they've got their staff mix right and really add value there rather than just a compliance service. So is that kind of part of your core package or do people, do GPs come to you and say, please, could you benchmark our accounts against another's or do you just volunteer that option? So for existing account, uh, for existing clients, it is part of our core package. We feel that if we just gave a compliance service, they're not getting their full benefit from us. So every time I'm seeing a practice and quoting or whatever, it always includes that as standard along with an annual meeting because without the meeting as well, with just a remote, um, you know, everything coming in the post or email, you're not getting the benefit there of the business advisory side. But if we're not acting for practice and and their accountants maybe aren't specialist or they don't have access to the benchmarking statistics, we can do it as an ad hoc project. So somebody says, here's our accounts. We don't get benchmarking from our accountants. Can you have a look and see what we look like? Yeah, we can do that ad hoc as well. So we've got a choice there. And who are you having that meeting with? Is it the GP partners or practice managers or both? It's both. Yeah, yeah. So generally, all partners will be present at the meeting because it's important that they hear it all firsthand. The practice manager would be there as well to offer input and also hear the messages. And usually at that meeting, well, pretty much every time at that meeting, we're also telling the GPs about their tax liabilities that are upcoming for, for the forthcoming year and sometimes forecasting a couple of years ahead as well. And when would that meeting take place? So if we're thinking about the end of year, so practices or in general, we're all worrying about just, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. When should I have my benchmarking meeting? Yep. So if you've got a March year end <clears throat> as a GP practice, we'll be getting the records in April, May, um, sometimes June, just for this cutoff, because the way the NHS money works, you have to wait a couple of months before it all comes in after the year end and just making sure all those invoices are in. So we start having the March year-end meetings, end of June, beginning of July. Um, by the end of September, we would have had pretty much all of our March year-end meetings by the end of September. Then we're moving on to the June, April, come a couple of April year-ends, moving on to the June year-ends. So we're now at the end of January. I'm now having September year-end meetings, and I've got a couple in the diary for December. So within three or four months of the year-end, to make sure that the numbers are prompt, um, they're still timely, 
and also people get as much notice as they can for their tax liabilities. Okay, so what other principles do we need to be thinking about as our year end, our financial year end is coming up? So coming up to your year end, um, there'll be tax planning to do as well, because once you've gone past your year end, some of the options for tax planning may have then gone out of the window. Um, for example, if you want to take advantage of capital allowances, if, you, if you've been keeping an eye on your management accounts and you think the profits are looking quite high at the moment as a, as a business, um, this is probably outside of the GP sector, but you may be wanting to make pension contributions through your company to reduce profits prior to the year end. If you go past your year end and decide to, you won't get the tax relief until the following year. So planning like that has to be made before the year end. If you're looking to spend money on computer equipment or other fixtures and fittings, doing that before the year end is important to make sure it fits into the correct tax year. This year is really interesting because we've got the budget on the 11th of March. So those with the March year end can look to see what's happening in the budget, any upcoming changes. And I'm thinking back a few years now, there was a change where the uh, the additional rate tax um, rate went up to 50%. And so there were lots of people thinking, right, before that change happens, um, I'm going to make sure I get as much money out of my company in salary as I can. Otherwise, if I do this in the following year, I'm going to be paying a much higher tax rate. So the good news on the budget, generally, you get advance warning of tax changes. Sometimes they do things on the day, um, pretty rare, but a lot, a lot of the time, especially with income taxes and so on, you get some advance notice. So coming up to year end, definitely tax planning, big thing. It's really helpful. I think as a small business owner, this stuff happens, but probably not in a considered managed way. Yeah, there's nothing worse if you just get past your year end and think, right, okay, I'm going to spend money on, you know, I'm going to update all these computers now. Yeah. And then you kick yourself, ah, oh, if I'd have done this two weeks ago, you know, I could have had all the tax relief on that a year earlier. So planning in advance is always a good idea. Yeah, that's really helpful. Why do you think we struggle so much with finances? I think a lot of it comes down to training. I mean, it's 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 not important for entrepreneurs to be great at finances. I'll, I'll say that out loud because... If they're good at what they do, let's just say they're great craftsmen. They could be fantastic. Um, I don't know, whatever their craft is, could be electricians, plumbers, whatever it is. I've got some people, I know a person who was great at, um, at jewellery. But finances wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't high up on the, on the agenda, really. But that's fine. As long as you've got the support network around you of professionals who can do that and are looking out for you as well and giving you advice when you need it, you don't need to be a great person at finances. That's where the accountant comes in. How often should we be looking at our bank accounts? I think the answer to that, it's a bit like when somebody asks me a tax question, it depends. It's as often as necessary. If you've got, and I've got some clients that have built up a nice stockpile of cash over the years, therefore they're never going to go be going into overdraft. Um, they've always got the buffer there. They just need to make sure that they're keeping an eye on expenses to make sure they're not wasting money. But if you've got the buffer there, fairly infrequently. But if you're pushing up against overdraft limits and whatnot, um, I've had clients before where we were looking at bank accounts, not just on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, working out whether that customer is going to pay them to be able to let them pay their supplier by the end of the day. You know, So 
Um, yeah, it really does depend on the on the big on the business. And when a brand new client comes to you, what sorts of questions are you asking them around their finances and the structure of their business to help you un- better understand what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve? Sure. So with GP practices, which is what I'm predominantly yep. acting for, I'd be asking for a set of their accounts from their previous accountant to see what the financial health looks like. Um, and you can measure that in a couple of ways. One is the benchmarking to see where they fit against the national profile. For example, the partner profit per session is a good uh, benchmark. That shows you the it shows you the financial health, but doesn't always show you the health of the underlying business because partner profits in GP land have been going up um, in recent years modestly, albeit you know not double digit growth but been going up but that's not because there's more money going into the system it's really because of the lack of resource and the lack of workforce out there that the partners are working much harder themselves so on paper the profits may be looking like they're up but if you worked it out as profits per partner hour they're probably on the on the downward trend so really looking at the past accounts to see what the financial health looks like um, we then look at other metrics such as seeing what the bank balance looks like, see if they're you know having cash flow problems or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, with our knowledge of of what accounts should be looking like, we can then benchmark them and 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 give them advice as to whether they may be out of kilter. And when thinking about general practices, is there a common issue that you see with how practices manage their accounts, or not really? It. It is really dependent on the on the on the size of the practice. I'm finding that practice managers, if they're in a fairly small practice, so and I'm I'm using numbers such as between three thousand and up to six thousand patients this size, which may be one or two partners, the practice manager has often got a number of hats on all yeah. at the same time. You know, they're running the payroll sometimes, they're doing the finances, they're also the HR person looking at hiring and firing, just trying to keep things running day to day, keep everybody in check with the locum doctors, seeing if all the sessions are there. Um, and and there's been more and more put onto the practice managers in those practices. And sometimes the finances have to take a bit of a back seat and they may even outsource those or ask for our additional help. In the much larger practices, and we've got practices of very large list sizes with over 20 partners, it's run much more as a business there where you can have dedicated HR people, you can have dedicated business managers, finance people in-house. Um, and the, so it really does depend on the size of the practice and the investment that they make in their um, in the workforce. Thank you so much. I think this is really helpful. It's a really practical episode to get us thinking about how we can manage our end of year and how we can start planning for next year. Thank you so much. And if people want to find out more about you, where can they contact you? So they can contact me, email's probably best, which is james.gransby, which is G-R-A-N-S-B-Y at rsmuk.com. Thank you so much. That's okay. No problems. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, we would love it if you left us an iTunes review or if you comment, like and share it on our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. So the Business of Healthcare podcast is being brought to you by THC Primary Care. 
We are a project management company specialising in the development of primary care networks, GP federations and training hubs. If you need support or you are looking for advice on how to progress one of your initiatives, please drop us an email so I can arrange a call with you so we can discuss this further. Our email is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk. We've been helping primary care networks with their development plans, helping them to make the most of their network meetings, sharing training resources. We've had questions like what do we include in a project plan? We have implemented network-based contracts across GP federations. We also support the day-to-day operational management of training hubs and have also got experience in setting them up from scratch. If we can't help you, we definitely know some people who will be able to help you. So please do get in touch. And that's just to remind you, our email address is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk or come and find us on www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. And in the meantime, please tune in to the next episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast. Podcast.